Top three books. There's okay. So at the FFA, they gave us so many books. Like they just books upon books upon books upon books. What would be the top three books that you would recommend? Well, way to put me on the spot because I won't know authors. But being adopted, it's maroon. Because <laughs> <laughs> I literally looked at it yesterday. But I like that it kind of goes through different topics and then like age, like mm. different ages. Um, the colors of grief is another one. That one's white with a picture of a child on it i think i still have that one in colors um but i liked that because it goes through the stages of grief but in um what it looks like at all the ages and it gives practical ways to engage oh that's like the grief process with them um which age appropriate because it's each chapter with like each age which is awesome the child called it very uplifting read i know who wrote that one that's dave pelzer you mentioned Primal Wound. That was another one. Yes, I wouldn't say Primal Wound, but I feel like then that crushes the dreams of those that only want newborns. But I think it's fascinating for people to recognize what trauma, the stress that a mom can have mm-hmm. while baby's in utero and the effect that it has on their child. Yep. So it is a good, important read. And one of the girls in my at the group home that I connected, begrudgingly we connected, um, she ended up getting pregnant at like 18 and I was very involved in her life. Like she stayed with me after she had the baby. She stayed with my parents. Um, and I remember telling her throughout the pregnancy, like keep her stress levels down, like think loving thoughts about this child. Like, you know, like let's try and do the best we can, even though you're 18 and this is like not a priority and you happen to be pregnant. Um, but I could definitely tell like when he came out, Cause she was in a very abusive domestic abusive relationship. Yes. Like his just from the get go, he, his brain was wired differently mm-hmm. and his energy level was very, he was very like flight and fight the whole Eesh. a lot. So primal wound. You're listening to the mother FN podcast with Patty Crouch and Heather Dragulescu. I feel like I'm going to start this podcast already crying. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's what I say. Thank you. <laughs> well, because this person's so part of our story. Um, and I already am crying. Oh, no. I can't look at you. <laughs> Manisa was the one who got the call for the girls and then decided to call us. And so she's an intricate part of creating our family. And we're forever grateful that she's part of our story. And I am crying really hard. I didn't think I was going to cry this bad. Aww. So today we have Manisa. She is the intake coordinator for the FFA that we went through. Welcome. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to wipe the tears down. <laughs> this is going to be going through the whole podcast. <laughs> Started off really good. <laughs> um, okay, so Manisa. Yes. How long did you work for the FFA? Um, six years. Okay. And then did you do anything prior to that? Or did you always... Mm -hmm. I worked at a group home for a year with teen girls Hmm. for another foster treatment center. And then I was a case manager for their younger kids. Okay. So I did that for a year. And then I bounced over because I wanted to be a part of finding families for these kids that were stuck in the system. So heard about the FFA, went over was a certification coordinator. So I did the recruiting, finding the families, interviewing the families, and then graduated to intake. You probably have some crazy stories of like people that you're like, "Mm, you shouldn't have kids. (laughs) When I drive along the 210, I think of families like, ooh, you shared a little too much. (laughs) (laughs) What was the craziest, like like your fake craziest story that you're like, no. Um, I remember one family that didn't disclose in the paperwork that they had had a child abuse allegation. Oh. And then in conversation, it came out and I was like, well, this is probably not going to work for you. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know. Why wouldn't you disclose that when you knew it was going to get disclosed, you know? You know. It slipped my mind. (laughs) Right. And it's so, it was always so fascinating to sit with couples because the women 
usually wanted like the best foot forward sure and the men were really uncomfortable so made all the jokes and Uh, so it was in that awkward dynamic and you remember the questionnaire that was like the wife filled it out and the husband filled it out yeah and usually they didn't talk about it unless they were generally a healthy couple so when i go through it and be like but you answered this and you answered this and it's like (laughs) whoa did they ever make because i remember those questionnaires we had to do them separately we weren't allowed to talk about it well, like, you weren't supposed to, but oh, then in gotcha. my portion of the interview, if there gotcha. were major conflicting yeah. red flags, I had to talk it out a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Interesting. I felt like we did it together with you almost, because I remember that. Do you remember interviewing Chris? Yes, I? I remember sitting at your kitchen table. <laughs> what was your story? I want to know your perspective. What did you think of Chris? He's I loved Chris. I feel like I always loved the men because they were real. <laughs> the women were trying to really put on this, like, we're so wonderful. Where the, When it come to the discipline stuff, the men yeah. would be like, so I'll put away my belts and I won't tie them. The women are like, oh, please don't say anything like that. She doesn't know you're joking. I'm like, no, I know they're joking. That's really funny. Yeah. Like, I know you don't mean it. So I feel like that was Chris, that especially was- when it came to guns. He was like, well, what do you want to know about all of my guns that I have? <laughs> That is so true. So, I definitely remember. No, I feel like you're talking like, yeah, that was Chris. Because I remember walking out of the adoption court, and he's like, we can hit him now. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. not the first thing you say. <laughs> That's great. Mm-hmm. So, were we a healthy couple, or were we a non-healthy couple? Yes, I loved you guys from the beginning. I was so excited to have you. I loved you, too. <laughs> <laughs> I remember just sitting there and going through it and having the whole twin conversation mm-hmm. and going, we're not going to do a sibling set. And I go, unless we have twins. And then Chris, like, agreed to it. Mm-hmm. And then he made this funny, like, thing about it. And then you called us by twins, mm-hmm. which was crazy to me. Now, before we jump too far into that story, okay. I'm going to be the, the little killer here. You're going to have to rein us in because I'm like, yeah, oh, my niece, I remember this. <laughs> I want to go way back. And find out, is working with kids in foster care something you always wanted to do? No. I had no idea. I did Young Life, which Mm -hmm. is like an outreach ministry for like the furthest out kid is what kind of their whole motto is. So that's how I met the Lord. That's that's the ministry I grew up doing and serving. So because of that... I feel like I was doing social work my entire life. Ah, I see. And when I got to college, I had a freshman year roommate who studied out loud, and she was studying (laughs) social work. And I remember listening to what she was saying, being like, I love that, but I will never do it. And um, my sophomore year roommate, same thing, everything in social work. And I'm like, oh, I love that. I will never do that. Why was was it never do it? Um, it just never really crossed my mind of something I wanted to do. I wanted to do mommy and me. My mom's a mommy and me, like parent education teacher. Mm -hmm. So that's what I figured I would do education, but never the thought of working with abused children. Yeah. I mean, it's not usually most people's goals. Right. (laughs) Like, and it's so interesting, all the things I felt like I was exposed to, but it was never, that's not something I will do. Mm. And then, um, in college I took a social work class and I read, the child called it yes yeah i read his whole series it's amazing yes mind-blowing terrible and i remember reading it and forcing myself to be in it Mm. and thinking of how that is so prevalent but not talked about yeah so um never again did i do social work like i didn't get my degree in social work but all of my electives were social work Hmm with like abused children and delinquent children and drug addiction with juveniles, that kind of thing. And I had an internship at a another group home placement Mm -hmm. and was like, this is terrible. And I will never work with abused girls because it was so hard. They're so broken and it feels like there's no hope for them, which was so sad and so defeating because how can you break that cycle when it feels too big? Mm. Um, but also God's bigger than that. And so I'm like, all right, Lord, you know my heart. I will never do that. And you know it. <laughs> so don't put me there. Like, give me just the crazy high schoolers, you know, yeah. still doing ministry. Like, that's totally fine. But the broken ones, I can't do. And then out of college, I got this opportunity to work at a group home. And I was like, you know, it's terrible and a challenge. I'll do it. And I heard that's kind of how you get your stripes if you want to be mm. working in this population. Yeah. So... Six girls, 12 to 18. Holy. And the 
like the home manager was like, commit to a year so that these girls can have somebody consistent. Wow. And I was like, you know, I can do that. I can totally do it. Right. Because how terrible a year. They've never had anybody there for a year. So I went in with a young life mind. I'm going to love them. I'm going to build relationships. Mm -hmm. We're going to have great conversations. It's going to be so fun. And I mean, like the first day, they're like, have you been trained? Are you Mexican? Do you know how to fight? Like trying to feel me out to see like how tough I am. Yes. If I can manage them. Because they're bitches. Let's just be honest. (laughs) Well, and I think too, going deeper, are they safe? Yeah. Yeah. They don't trust anyone. Don't trust a soul. And the manager then gave me the stack of the six files of these girls. Mm -hmm. And I read about parents selling them at the age of six Mm -hmm. to like, just to be sexually, you know, sold, how they've been beat, how all of their parental rights have been Mm -hmm. severed. They will never be adopted. And so living the life with these six girls was life-changing. It was mm-hmm. the best. It was the worst. I've never cried harder. I've never drank more. Because <laughs> that's With what, them? No, they can't do it with oh, them. Oh, jeez. No way. Um, oh, they would have loved it, but no. Um, so that was my exposure. And after my year, I was like, I need to be on the other end to find families. Because these girls, deep down, they want what we all want. Yeah. To be loved, to be in a home, to be safe, to be successful, and to have somebody challenge what they know um, and bring out the good in them. Like yeah. I had one girl that wanted to lead a gang, like her big thing. She had fantasized the story of how her dad died, that he mm-hmm. was killed in a drive-by. It was by like, I can't remember, like the crip leader. So she was going to be in the blood and she was going to kill everybody. Yeah. But I'm like, oh man, you have such incredible leadership skills. Why don't you be in student council? Like, <laughs> why aren't you a captain of a team? Like, yeah. you have all these skills. Like, find a thing that's good. Or I had another girl that knew every psychotropic medication. So I'd see, oh. every time I'd pick her up from her visit with the psychiatrist and, like, any med changes, she was like, yeah, I want to lose weight, so I asked for this one. And I haven't been sleeping well, so I asked for this one. And I'm like, you're so smart. You should be a doctor. Yeah. Like should just, be a pharmacist and actually help people figure out these drugs. Yeah, work. right. And I'm like, you just don't know so much. Like, but you need to figure out your way to like use that for good. Yeah. So I feel like that was my message and just trying to help these girls. All reality, I'm like Facebook friends with all of them, and mm-hmm. most of them have multiple children. Mm-hmm. Some have lost them to the system because they were never yeah. adopted. So that's where. Long story short, so <laughs> sorry. Bad <laughs> days. I wanted to be on the end to advocate for teens and for older kids when I would sit with families. That Mm -hmm. was always my goal. So I wanted to be on that end, um, which it obviously worked out. God put me in a role where I got to speak in front of churches and at events and sit with these families. And I'm going through when they've all circled like newborn to two years (laughs) old. And I'm like, but what about a sibling set? And yes, it could be scary to have a 10 year old, but the 10 year old can tell you what's wrong where you're you know, yeah. two-year-old can't. Um, so that's why I got into it. I love it. Long story. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a awesome. great story. Did you ever, did you see that come true? Did you see teenagers matched? Because now I'm like, oh, crap, we, we put Ford it under. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the reality is every kid needs a home. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to give a voice for people to think a little bit outside their box. Yeah. So I think the success of families that took sibling sets and you know it was like a four or five-year-old even though they wanted only the newborn but now they have the sibling mm-hmm. um that's a success so i there were a couple that took a little bit older not as many it was a lot of like the single parents that took a little bit older because yeah. they needed that school age yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so advocating that's my goal so i feel like at least i put that information out there yeah i was told we actually ended up disrupting the matching with our kids because the youngest had matched. She was five, we were six, about six when we got her, um, but she had two older siblings. And since we came in, we're like, we'll take all three. They're like, all right, no longer matched. And they pulled her from that match and gave them to us instead. Mm. Well, that's always the goal, yeah. keeping all the siblings together. Though, don't you argue sometimes maybe they should be separated? Well, true. If they've never grown up around each other, that is better. really hard. Mm-hmm. I also think sometimes the older ones, because my children were very abused severely every way, that in some ways Bella may have, would have had more success if she had had a single parent just to mm. focus on her. Because when you're dealing with the trauma of all three, 
the one who holds it inside longer, the one who kind of can keep her shit together for the most part, the one who can tamp it down in some ways, she doesn't get better because she's learned to just appease. Mm. And really, you need a person who's going to focus and drill in. And now that's what's happening. She's been with us for like four years. We're doing the drilling. And it's very hard for her because now she's 13. Now she's gotten used to it. Yeah, it's a Mm -hmm. hard age. And we're like, no, no, no. Now we're going to dig in and get to that trauma and start scratching away at it so you can be released. So it's hard. It's really hard. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think about all my families, too, that got the young, all the young little kiddos who are school-aged and, you know, a little bit older. And I can sometimes think of the families that wanted that perfect easy like we get them from birth so nothing will be wrong because they'll be all ours and we'll shape them their entire lives and now it's like right like the genetics part is coming out you know like the learning disabilities or behaviors Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and kind of figuring what is the trauma that played in that because primal wound is an excellent book of like the trauma in utero that a lot of people just don't take into account like they were healthy baby at birth so they're gonna be great i hope so but Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. People always, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing with the girls since we got them. Oh, we got them so young at nine months. It's like, you know, they barely had any trauma. It's like, um, you try living homeless and not really knowing where your next meal is coming from, not being able to vocalize it, and then totally having your pathways be complete survival primal instincts yeah. and mm-hmm. trying to undo those primitive ways is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So you go from the group home? You know, I felt like if I wanted to make an impact, being there wasn't going to be it. So um, I had the opportunity to go to the main campus of that agency mm-hmm. and do case management, which was super hard because on that campus, it was like seven, six or seven year olds to 11. And oh. there were like 60 that lived there. Wow. What? Wow. And that was so heartbreaking because yeah. there's so little. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it was my exposure to that, mm-hmm. but I knew I needed to be doing something entirely different. Gotcha. So that's where I actually followed a coworker. She worked the night shift at the group home and then mm-hmm. got the job doing case management, told me about it. And then she actually worked at the agency and she then told me about a position that was opening. So I kind of followed her around. Gotcha. So when I heard about that, um, the certification coordinator was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I use my gifts. I can talk. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell people about these kids because then I felt like now I've been around them yeah. to be able to say, these are the kids that you would be changing their lives, mm-hmm. hopefully for the better. I, I could tell you rocked in that position of just making people feel comfortable, but also being real of like, no, it's not, love's not going to conquer all. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's bigger yeah. than that. Like, but you're so lovable and likable that we could hear it from you without crying, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> I cry all the time. It's okay. It's, it's an enduring, is it enduring about me? Endearing? Endearing. endearing. Oh, We're all enduring. <laughs> <laughs> so you're at this agency now, and now you're doing the certification. What are some of the things people should know about this process from your side? Well, there's not a warehouse of children and you don't get to go in there and pick them off the shelves. The one that you like love the most or like think is the cutest. Um, I think it's a lot of introspective work and learning because it's going to bring out a dynamic in a couple or a person. So I think people don't take that into account. It's like, oh, we've we've got it all together at home. Now let's just add in a child yeah. to the mix where it's going to take a lot more and it's going to pull. Um, it's going to bring the ugliness out. Yeah. Um, Did you see marriages kind of falter mm-hmm. in this process? Because what I loved about our agency was when the adoption worker went out to do the home study, if you needed counseling, if there was something really significant there that was going to... Yeah. Be the button that these kids were going to push that our agency really encouraged you to do counseling before moving forward so that you were That's in a good. healthier spot yeah. before bringing wounded children into your home. So I appreciated that. A lot of families didn't because it was a 
wake up call that maybe things weren't as great as they thought. So there were definitely a lot of families that started or it was like, they'd get the paperwork and be like, what? we have all this homework. <laughs> we got to go to trainings. Wait, it's a weekend training, you know, yeah, like yeah, then yeah. it's like, I don't have time for that. But here was my argument. Okay. You don't have time for that, but yet you are going to get a child that has three days a week of three hour monitored visits. So you're going to have yep. to get them to, yep. Oh, and then they're going to, you're going to take them to their doctor's appointments and there's going to be multiple ones. And you know, yep. like if you can't, if you're not willing to commit for like paperwork. six days of training yeah. and paperwork, how are you committing to two to three years of no commitment yet? Because yeah. sometimes it takes forever for rights to be terminated or a child to yeah. officially be yours or to go home, you know? So and it's too much of a roller coaster. I have a confession. Yeah. They recommended me reading this book and I never did. I got <laughs> it's a it. locker. I was like, I got it. And I was like, mm, started reading it. And I was like, why am I? Yeah, I know this. Like, oh, like the, I was probably one of those people that didn't do it. Confession. Too late. I signed the papers. You can't take it back. <laughs> what part of the process and that, like the intake, do you think could be better? Or do you think that there's something lacking in that part that you think? the county could be better or FFAs could be better at doing because the place that we went to the FFA definitely took you to the edge is what they always said. Like we're going to take you to the cliff. So you know exactly what you're going to get into. Mm-hmm. And I'm still like, mm, you took me to a baby cliff. <laughs> like, it wasn't the real cliff. Like the grand Canyon is what I needed to look over. And you yeah. this nice little one up to Santa Clarita, you know? I know. I'm thinking because I live in Arizona now and mm-hmm. I've been hearing that they want to do all the paperwork and trainings online. Oh, what? Wow. Which blows my mind because yeah. you then have no personal interaction. Mm-hmm. And so you have no idea who these people are. So I don't think anything, I would want anything to change because that paperwork is necessary. Like that commitment up front is necessary. Mm-hmm. And those in person trainings. I learned a lot sitting with people, yeah. <laughs> watching them, interacting with parents, the way they received information, hard information, you know, like the experiential exercises and the ones that were like, I'm not doing this BS. Yeah. You know, like all of those things say something about how successful they'll be or not successful. So I don't know that I would change it. Have I personally gone through it? No. So maybe if I've been on your side of the table, it'd like be so different. I actually wouldn't change much. I um, yeah, I liked I, actually going to the in person. I liked being there in person with my trainings. I have different FFA, but we had in person trainings, and I preferred it because you kind of got to meet people and go through the thick of things with them. That's how I met Nikki. She was in our yeah. foster boot camp and sitting right. Yeah, next I wouldn't. To us. And we both looked at each other. There was a couple in there that were like, Yeah, I have to ask a question. So we had a couple at one of our trainings. What would you have thought about this? They showed up with their little dog in a stroller. Stop. And like would get up and walk the dog during this time. (laughs) Would you have told them, maybe you're not ready? Well, here's the thing. I don't want harm to happen to animals, but I could care less about them. So I would have been like, "Uh, no. Sorry, your dog crack a window. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to work. Not going to work. There was... A couple, and I asked you this before, because I described them to you, you're like, nope, they somehow fell through the cracks. I feel like there's the certain ones that, do you ever push people out? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> because I think you then, or I would give more of a realistic picture. Yeah. Because you never want to scare somebody to break them. That's not the goal. Like, most people have the heart that they want to do this, so it's like easing them into the fun challenges that they're signing up for but other ones it's like oh no i'm, I'm gonna be a little harsher with this information yeah. so that you catch the reality that you are not equipped for this and you yeah. really need to think about it there's always these crazy i don't want to say crazy there's always these extreme cases i feel at these trainings we had one where this person kept asking what kind of felony can you have to adopt so. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I feel like... And how many? And we're like, I don't know if this is going to work for you. Right? Oh, my gosh. Um, did you disclose that you had a physical abuse? <laughs> <I> <laughs> child allegation going up. Like, and how, and it was how many years ago could you have a felony? Oh, how many felonies can you have? And what type? And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Please tell me she's not getting certified. But she went through the whole training. Mm-mm. So maybe it was like Super stole old. some a computer back in 1984. 
And, well, that's you know. the thing. Those background checks, yeah. they, they find it all. So I had a few people that had like, oh, wait, you never told us you had two DUIs. Oh. You know, like, sorry. If somebody was upfront about that and said, look, I was a really rascally college kid and I got two DUIs in college. But if you look at my record, it's been 20 years. I haven't done anything since. I've been, you know, perfect citizen, not even a parking ticket. Would that open honesty play into a positive effect? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if they don't tell you, you're you're like, it may have happened 20 years ago. I mean, I got a parking ticket, but the fact that you didn't disclose. Yep. going to paint it. I had a few of those because I'd get the, the printouts. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I was, mine was clear because I've done nothing. I'm boring. Well, uh, I was thinking, sorry, I went to a county meeting, like county informational meeting. Yeah. Just for you know kids and giggles <laughs> right <laughs> um because i wanted to see what was their process like yeah. compared to ours and the people that sign up for those i was appalled at the questions people are yeah. asking so if we made a closet they're like you need a window but if fine we put a window in the closet that counts as a room right and i'm like <gasps> <laughs> so i'm like standing in the back like looking at the presenter's face like are you taking note of the lady that's asking if she can put children in her closet <laughs> can we put them in the garage? Like how many can you actually have in a bedroom? It's like, they are clearly Ugh. there to get money. Like, please yeah. tell me you're flagging any of this, but nope. I'm sure if they did everything, they will get children. Yeah. I'm, I'm it broke sure my heart. I know that the kids former foster home was through the County. So that doesn't surprise me that the County social workers never checked my kids. Yep. Never looked at them. And it wasn't until they were in the FFA, they came to ours that they were, looked at which i was glad about but then it was like oh yeah we pretty much think your kids have been sexually abused and you're like oh, oh wonderful and the county social worker had no idea county social worker and the county therapist had no idea because they would not ask the kids they would not talk to them did you even contemplate going to the county or is it you knew? No, no run away run away no no and i've actually thought about in arizona like oh what if i did home studies or something you don't need a degree in anything <gasps> really? social work related wow. you just need a degree and i'm like that's terrible. Are you terrible. continuing to do social work in Arizona? I am. That's, that's I'm great. on the flip side, though. I do hospice. Oh. So, oh. the end of life. <laughs> I wanted to ask about that since it already came up, and then we can go back to the adoption side. How is it? I love it. I absolutely love it. Mm. I thought I would do adoption forever, but there's something, well, there's everything beautiful about the end of life. Mm-hmm. So, there's so many similarities. I'm like in people's homes. I'm in their lives. End of life brings out all those dynamics that people have put away or forgotten about or just didn't want to deal with. All of that's coming up. So it's helping them process that to have like a quality, be in a better mental place to die. Mm. Um, Grief and loss. People are dying. So, (laughs) um, So there's just so many dynamics that are very similar. Um, and then it's having the ending of a beautiful chapter. So it's, it took me about a year to get to that place, but I love it so much. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm like dumbfounded because I was like, mm, she'll come back. I think I just wanted you back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting any more kids, but I'm like, I just want you back in LA so I can hang out with you. Um, I mean, I know you said you like kind of wanted to switch and whatnot. Is it mentally easier than kids' lives? Because at a certain point, you're helping the end. So you know... It's a little bit easier than being able to like with the future of these kids and not being able to help all of them and Seriously. how to handle that. I think about how much I compartmentalized working with children. Really? Because now when I hear stories or like on like news feeds of like this mom, you know, left yeah. her six month old who was sexually abused and died in, you know, a hotel room, those yeah, kind of things. Yeah. I... I don't know how for eight years I held that, held those stories for these kids. Yeah. It blows my mind that I wasn't in a darker place because I didn't know how to process any of that because it was so Mm -hmm. deep and so hurtful. And it felt like there was no, well, doing the adoption part, like being on that end was like the light that I needed to make Mm -hmm. it feel like it was good, but it was rough. So being on that on the other end of life where people are being able to leave this body that is broken and diseased and failing them. My, I, it's easier. 
But mm-hmm. I think because I just love it and I love what I'm doing and I see the beauty in it, that's why I can handle it better. Yeah. Well, there's something also, too, with the natural end of things. Like, in my head, no two-year-old's supposed to be get their legs broken. and You know, like, sure. there's mm-hmm. not, that's yeah. not natural. But in the end, like, everyone has to die. And this, this is kind of a, at least a part of the normal story that most mm-hmm. people have in Very this true. weird yeah. way. But in... You know, but for so many, it's been, they get this diagnosis and it's days or weeks, you know, or yeah. just the pain, like the physical pain that people deal with. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's where it is the good ending yeah. because yeah. all of that ends. But for some, they've suffered for so long, you know, with no relief. It's, it's, I can see how it's hard. Yeah. Easier. Yeah. But, but like, well, yeah, easier to process yeah. Yeah. a lot more. And, ha- and a happy, like the adoptions are, ended up being happy. Absolutely. Well, I want to know what the process is. So let's, yeah. let's take you through a day. You get your cell phone. Yeah. It's a social worker from the county, right? How, who, so, how early do they start who calling? Would call you. So they. Oh, it's 24 7. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So let's just. It's Saturday night. You're drinking a margarita. I know. <laughs> I know. Okay. So you get a call, and it's for a sibling set of four and two-year-old boy and girl african-american what do you do like what's this what what process mentally and like physically did you go through um well i have like a freakishly great memory and so i could think of the people on my like the families on my list um i think in general it was like instinctually who popped in my head first gotcha or like the first couple um people so I literally always had my list of families that were waiting. It was like on a whiteboard in my office, mm-hmm. which is probably why I could always think about it, um, of like what their age range was, what their, you know, kind of what their whole profile was. Yeah. And it was just honestly then cold calling them and hoping for the best, you know, just seeing what information I could get from the social worker. Like what questions did you ask the social worker? Well, in general, it was like truly like, eh, it's a six and a two year old boy and a girl, African-American, do you have anybody? It's like, okay, hold on. So is mom involved? Is dad involved? Like, where are they in the process? Yeah. And it could be like, oh, well, they're just here in the office. You have something you need to call, you know, like, do you have a family? Yes or no. Um, When it was ones that were um, closer to termination, they like wanted a committed answer Mm. where I'm like, but can I call them really quick and just ask, you know, like, don't call anybody else. Like, I know this is what this family would want. It's like, well, we're going to hang up and call somebody else because I know for them, it's like, they're just, they have their job of just finding a home. home. So, and it usually wasn't their social worker. It was like their intake person. That's literally just getting the calls too. Mm. So they don't know much. It's like, what information is there? Cause I know I would turn around and call a family and they're like, okay, there's six and there's two. So does that mean like, do they have behaviors? Are they potty trained? You know, yeah. and it's like, then it's like all of these other questions. And I'm like, I literally don't know. Like you will have to find out if you say yes, you yeah. know, which will be when you pick them up. Like, <laughs> because a lot of times too, like maybe that social worker didn't even know that yeah. information, especially if they're literally getting they taken get from them. whatever situation yeah. they were in. And now they're sitting in the office waiting for a ride. Yeah. Um, so that's where it was just calling families and hoping for the best. And usually would try to see what were their major questions or like, Oh yeah, that is a good question that I didn't think to ask. Yeah. I could call back and ask and maybe I got the information or not. And it was like, all right, if you're saying yes, this is where you pick them up. Mm-hmm. You need to come now. Wow. So, or it was just going down my list and getting more and more defeated whenever he's like, no, no, no. It's like, okay. I have two questions now. So emotionally, when you got a no and you couldn't place with your heartbreaking, heartbreaking. I don't know what I expected for you else Mm -hmm. to say. I just don't know how how you could. I I said no once and it still is one of those days where I'm like, I wonder where those twins are. It was more difficult when it was an older kid. And I knew off the bat when I get the call that I'd be like, I have nobody. I already know I have no one. You know, it's like a 12, a 16 year old and eight, you know, it's like, or not 18, but it's like 13. And I'm like, I have no one. How many calls would you get a day? (laughs) Depends on the day. I mean, 20. Wow. I was telling Patty before we started, I still get calls today because it was my personal phone number. (laughs) (laughs) Was that a wise choice? 
It was not. I don't know why they didn't give me another phone. <laughs> they should have. I know. Yeah. So it was it was a lot of calls. And it was 24 hours a day. So many a night, I'd either be out or... I, I specifically remember a time watching Game of Thrones and being like, dang it. Like, <laughs> let me write... Like, scraps of paper. I still, to this day, will find... Like, I opened a binder yesterday and it was like a scratch note of like an age and a child and like ethnicity and because I would just have to write it anywhere and like get the worker's number and be like let me call you back were there any do you have a particular story that you remember intensely yes newborn little girl african-american um was born exposed to a lot of drugs and mom had like a diagnosis of like mental retardation Mm. um but like physically um, like features wise looked like a healthy girl yeah. as she's like detoxing. Um, so I called like instantly one of my families came to mind and I called them and I remember I was at lunch in islands and I'm like trying to get this information of like all the details of like, well, what was she exposed to? Like what's she on? What's yeah. coming out of her system? Okay. Mom's history because they knew this would be a hard sell. Yeah. Um, so they had a lot of information to get yeah. me. So I'm like writing down on napkins and I'm calling this one family and I'm telling her and she's like battling, like, I don't care about any of the drug stuff. Like, that's totally fine. It's the diagnosis of mom. Like, will this child be able to function mm-hmm. mentally? Um, you know, and she's like, well, let me call my husband. And that was always the hardest too. Like, yeah. crap, now they got to get all the husband and like the husband's probably going to be like, let me think about it. You know, because the <laughs> men were always like, hmm. So, um, waited, you know, hearing him in islands, just trying to like, wait, say that again, you know, and she called me back and she was like, I think we're going to say yes. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome. And then I couldn't get a hold of the worker and I was like, no, no, now they're going to give her away to somebody else. And so finally got the worker and was like, okay, like, is your family sure that they can commit to this? And I think, I don't know if mom, maybe had already lost children before. I can't remember that detail that it felt like it was going to be a quicker situation. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, the family's committed. And they were like, but are you sure? And I'm like, well, what else aren't you telling me? Yeah. Um, but we we said yes. And they're like, okay, great. You have to come pick her up. So, you know, I'm telling this family and they're like, it's Halloween. Like, are we able to take our boys trick or treating? Like, call <laughs> us because we want to be there and greet you at the house with this little girl. But we're also trying to like, you know, their yeah. boys were younger. And I'm like, yeah, go. It's going to take me a while. Traffic, the whole thing. And so went to the hospital. And that was always a trip to go in with yeah. an empty, like, Percy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, here I'm walking around. Which I have another Don't story. Don't shop in. <laughs> I know. I have another story for that. Um, and then walking out. Whoops, yeah. with the newborn. So picked her up. Traffic. And I just remember the sweetness of, like, calling the family and parked in front of their house. And it was, like, pitch black area. And... I just hear screaming as the four of them were running down Aww. the street. And the cutest, because the boys were Legos, <laughs> homemade Lego heads on. And the husband's filming and the wife's crying as they're just like running down to greet this baby girl. Aww. And, you know, like we all take her inside and they had called her parents and... So they were there and, you know, in the background, it's like the doorbell of like trick or treaters <laughs> and everybody's like in there just crying over like this doting over this little baby girl. And they're looking at the features of her and being like, she has his lips and she has his eyes and like, Aww. and it was a white family, but I yeah. just love that it was like, they were already claiming her yeah. and like grandparent. It was just this beautiful, just spectacular. I loved it. I what? just loved it. You got to tell us what happened in the end with that story. Do you know? Oh, she's like a wonderfully healthy, happy. Oh. And they stayed with her. Oh yeah, yeah she great. yeah yeah. That's awesome. She's adopted in Forever Family and Forever Family. I know. So every Halloween, it's like <laughs> yay. So sweet girls, again, adorable. You know. I know. That's I know. Beautiful. But I love it. I just love the Lego heads, like emerging <laughs> from the darkness. Like oh, we're coming. Okay, so, tell me it's the story about the empty. Oh my gosh. So I went to go pick up another newborn, um, African American, like baby boy, in uh, DCFS downtown LA. And there you have to park in like the bank parking lot structure, like across the street. So I'm like walking with the car seat. You got to like walk through the bank to go out to the major, like Wilshire or whatever, yeah. to go 
across the street into DCFS. So I'm like walking in like, this was just weird when I'm just <laughs> walking with an empty car seat. And so I'll pick up this little baby boy to take him to a family. And I'm in the elevator with him. And the lady walks in and she was like, oh my gosh, congratulations. And I was like, you think I pushed out a child? Like, <laughs> this is new. And she was like, what? And I'm like, what am I saying? Like, I can't. <laughs> now it looks like I'm stealing a child. And her face, I was like, uh, because I don't want to also say like, well, it's a foster baby. Cause yeah. like, even though he's not going to know, I just yeah. didn't want to give that away. So I was like, it's fine. He's with me. <laughs> I like got out on my floor and I was like, I need to run. She's probably calling the police. Like I stole a baby. <laughs> like never again. Do I say anything like that? <laughs> That's hilarious. I remember with Jackson, him in the car seat and putting them in and going, is no one going to stop me? Like this is like <laughs> the weirdest thing ever to like, be leaving a hospital with a baby that's not you yours. Know, I know. Like, it's just so weird. I kept thinking the police are going to like stop me. Like, yeah. Seriously. Or I don't have kids. So having yeah. kids in my car, especially babies that I'm like, are they breathing? And I'd be like reaching around trying to like <laughs> touch their face and like, I don't want to be responsible if they die in my car. Like, I don't know. Oh man. It was just the adventures of randomly having children yeah. in my car. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you remember calling us? I do. Because I feel like Chris's mom was coming into town also that day. And I remember you guys being like, it's perfect because now we got to double up everything and we have no idea what we're doing, but my mom's coming. So she'll be super helpful. It was super stressful because I was at work, right? And you called me, I think. No, you called, you couldn't get a hold of me. Right. So, so I called, then you Chris. called Chris. So then Chris is calling me, but then Chris is calling like it was like this phone tag and I knew that if you didn't like answer or say yes whatever you're like you're gonna lose your opportunity to have kids like, I'm moving on <laughs> exactly yeah. and so Chris wrote like the African-American nine-month-old girls on like a torn up envelope and he you still have it like we still have it. it's our little sonogram right um but he you also had a call for an 18-month-old mm. uh, rights were already terminated little mm. girl and so we're like, are we doing the twin thing or are we doing one? And we did the twin thing. I didn't I wanted to know your perspective on the like, if you remember, you made, I mean, 20 calls a day, you probably didn't. Well, no, I remember that because I remember being excited that you guys were taking twins because not many people do. And there aren't a ton of calls for twins. So I was just pumped about it. And I felt like it was such a god thing that you guys like just rolled with it like well now we gotta get another car seat now we gotta we gotta you know it's like <laughs> now we're doubling up everything but it was like but we're picking up my mom so she'll be so helpful because we don't know what we're doing <laughs> i remember like waking up a couple of days later going we're not babysitting right like <laughs> gonna be long term hopefully forever so. i know it was Aww. so exciting that must be exciting being that on that side of the call of like mm -hmm. putting families together and like being part of people's forever stories, you know, like I'm forever grateful. Cause you could have my Chris and I's name couldn't have popped into your head and you could have called another family and done called someone else or whatever. So the idea that it was you who called us and thought of us and then we got to say yes and yeah. do everything is really amazing to me. And I really think that's a God thing too. Cause I mean, who am I to be like, this would be a way better couple. I like them more. But is <laughs> <laughs> also responsible for um, like Nikki and Jenny and I being friends. I so we got to admit, there was yeah. like some cool people <laughs> in the agencies that were like, didn't take themselves too seriously. We knew we were going to screw up, like had fun, but also knew that we had no clue what we were doing and needed support. Awesome. And so she was like, you have to have a Christmas party. Yes. We had only had them for like three months. <laughs> so we're at a Christmas party. She's like, no, you got to sit here and you sit here because you guys got to get to know each other. That's and so awesome. she basically put us together and it's been friendship ever since. Well, having professional boundaries as much <laughs> as I can. I was like, I like all these people and I'd hang out with them all the time. Yeah. But since I can't, you guys hang out with each other. Yeah. <laughs> and then I love it because you guys be, like became a little parent group and yeah. were each other's outlets and shoulders to lean on and were there to support each other when things didn't go the way that everybody hoped and infertility stuff, like the whole thing. You guys have been through it all. Yeah. I couldn't imagine doing it without them. And without you, honestly, like the whole thing. How did you feel on the um, hopefully rare occasions where a match just didn't work out? You know, sometimes it was for the better. 
mm-hmm. because it was going to be too much. And I'm thinking of like some of the single parents where it was a lot that they were very noble and taking multiple children uh, yeah. and just being in over their head. So did you work then on trying to find the home that these kids would get rehomed to? We always tried to see if there was another family within our, in our agency or like a family that was coming through the process that it was like, can you wait like a month and they'll be certified and yeah. baiting that family to like get their stuff done. Um, but I feel like a lot of times that didn't, that didn't pan out, unfortunately. Mm. So it's, you know, it's hard. I feel like all things kind of happen for a reason and kind of hope for the best. Yeah. What would you want people to know about this process that maybe they're not aware about coming in? Uh, I think the biggest thing is the positive impact that people can make. All of it's going to be worth it in some way, shape, or form, even if it doesn't work out, yeah. that you will grow a ton and be challenged more so than you ever have. But it ideally is for a great reason that you yeah. can have a home that is positively caring for and a safe place, ideally, um, for these kiddos. So yes, there's paperwork. We all survived high school. Like You'll be <laughs> fine. <laughs> you know? But they're just... Kids need good, loving homes, and there's too many that are going to grow up without. Right. And then the cycle continues, and mm-hmm. then their kids are going to be in the system, or they're going to go to jail, they're going to be homeless, and it just perpetuates. So, to just kind of help break that cycle yeah. a little bit is so worth it, hopefully. Why do you think people are so afraid to do this? It's the unknown. Mm-hmm. And traumatized kids are scary. Mm-hmm. Because these kids don't even know how to manage their feelings and the experiences they've had because their brains shouldn't be able to handle it because they're not mentally developed. Um, So I think that that's scary. And people with kids, they don't want to expose their kids to the trauma of somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, But there can be then something so beautifully um, life-changing development there i think of like families that have special needs kids yeah with their children and like their children have this special outlook on life and are like more gentle like that's where in my idyllic mindset like it goes to yeah of like empowering your kids to i don't know support those that are hurting or have like Mm -hmm. a tender heart for people that have been abused or have a better understanding or awareness of what's going on around them and it's an ugly world but i feel like we can educate and teach our kids maybe to manage that better or Mm -hmm. i don't know but i know families don't want to expose their kids to yeah but the reality is YouTube, TV, like they're seeing it anyways. Yeah, it's getting a lot worse out there. So, like, I know. In some cases. What would you want foster parents who are already in the process to know about social workers? Like what kind of grace they need to give or what kind of... I feel like sometimes we made you guys out to be the bad people. Like we'd, something would happen and we'd have to change and you'd be like, it was the county. We're like, mm-hmm, really, it was the county? Like It was. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Uh, I think I, w- I would like to say, fine, I'll say from my perspective, is that I'm trying the hardest I can to find the best fit, but to challenge you to think outside what you think you're capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just, like our children that we care for, things are out of our control. And so we're doing the best that we can with what we know. Um, but it's, a thankless, emotionally, mentally yeah. draining job. I have to imagine. I always called my social workers uh, my mini therapists because every day I was talking to one of them because uh, we had the adoption social worker, we had our own personal family social worker, then there was the intake one, and I would call, and then the emergency line. I'm like, I just need to talk to somebody <laughs> for like an hour. And they would listen to me cry and just complain and worry and they were such a loving ear and i think that's so wonderful that you have to take all this in Mm -hmm. from i'm sure not just one person a day but multiple people who feel like they can't handle it yeah and you're there to coach us through this whole thing 
And we want the best for our families and our children just as much as you guys do. Yeah. But, you know, policies and laws, like those things are put into place for a reason that you have to work around. And yes, some of them are very unreasonable and are stupid. But you got to think like somebody obviously did something terrible and to the extreme. So that's what makes those policies important so and they're they're hard to work around and we get that we didn't make them up it's it's so interesting because remember the county social worker um did not tell us we could say no to a visitation if it didn't meet our requirements Hmm. like we were allowed they're like if there's no uh additional person a moderator there basically because we're supposed to have a social Hmm. worker at every visit you can walk away and you can say we're not doing this i was like "I, i can they're like yeah this isn't about their rights as the, the grandparents. This is about your kids and what's best for them. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know if they don't mean to or they just have so much to do. What I love about FFA social workers is they can help you feel more empowered in this mm-hmm. situation versus county who are like, no, that's what you gotta do. Well, and FFAs have like a tiny caseload compared to the county. The well, county. Yeah. What would your caseload, would you say? Like 12. Mm. Yeah, or... Some other ones are like 48, yeah. 49. And you got to think, that's the kid. That's maybe their siblings. That's their biological mom, their yeah. biological father, the biological grandmother, the aunt that wants to get them back, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like the child's attorney. And if there's a therapist and, you know, like you got to think that one case that they have, it's many facets to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I have a story about Marisa, actually, because birth mom showed up. And there was this random guy there. And we were at the park where we always got the thing. And she was like, no, no, the family's going home. Like, no. Like, she wanted it to be around. And you were like, no, they're going. Like, this is not appropriate. And I was like, mm-hmm. thank God. No we now think that it could have been Jackson's dad. Oh, interesting. Because it fits the time frame mm. of some things. Because she had said when talking about Jackson and what she told social workers at Jackson was that she was with this guy for a couple of years. And so it would have been around the same time. So we're like, hmm, maybe. Hmm. So. Do you feel you sometimes had to battle it with the county social workers? Oh, yeah. Okay. All the time. Especially when it was like coming to case, uh, court cases of determ- or determining parental rights. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we're going to give mom six more months and oh, like no. she's been here twice like yeah. what do you mean it's like well it's like no our family's done this and that you know like yeah. these are where the kids are does it make the most sense to continue this limbo and you know same thing for them they're like well yeah. we gotta do it Eesh. or like monitoring visits i feel like no you help with that or this is not appropriate we can't keep these visits going because yeah. we would have visits in our office um I remember doing Patty's visits at the park. Um, I feel like the library once. I don't know when it was raining or something. The park was yeah. by the library. So yes. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So I think a lot of times, you know, it's like mom sleeps through them the entire time. Like, yeah, she's showing up, but that yeah. doesn't count, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. It, that, they're so tough. The visitations are so tough. That was the hardest for Zandy. Yeah. Like a lot of think of her trauma could have been avoided, but she was forced to have. This relationship with this person she didn't know and only had negative reactions to. Like one of my worst memories is walking away from visitation with her crying at the window and I couldn't do anything. Yeah. We have, I remember when the kids were doing visits, we would have to warn the school, like, their visit is happening this day. Please be aware tomorrow. They're not going to be in the best of spirits. It's going to be a hard day. Yeah. And there will be no homework completed tonight. So I'm not even going to try. Yeah, but that's good that you were sensitive to that because I think sometimes families get into like that rigid, like you will still do this though because it's required and yeah, homework, you know, you know, (laughs) but missing sight of like what is actually happening. Yeah, it's it was more important for their well being and the kids, but it's hard. It must be hard for you to watch kids who are obviously having a terrible visit Mm -hmm. and you know this is like this should not be happening. Oh man. Oh 
hope just when they're crying and like pick me up it's like i can't you're supposed to go to your mom and i know your mom's on her phone and not paying attention to you you know oh my goodness oh you probably had to do that with zandy over and over again i know it's yeah it would be really hard there'd be times too that i'm like screw it (laughs) (laughs) come here was that like the probably the least favorite? Like, what was your least favorite part of the job? I, would, I mean, obviously, some of these like not finding a home, like these obvious ones, but yeah. Well, and I definitely know for some, then I be- for some kids I became the like oh. trigger of like, yeah. oh crap, it's you, which means mom, which me, you know, and it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. Which hi, you foster parents, that's what yeah. you deal with all the time every day um but I, that was always so difficult and i remember one mom i had to pick her up and the mom was like i prepped her all day i'm so sorry she's me so scared to see you and it was like she cried the entire way oh, and i'm like oh i'm and i just kept telling her like just trying to be soothing like i know i'm so sorry it's okay it's okay and luckily dad didn't show but still oh. it was like that 20 minutes of torture there the yeah, 20 yeah. minutes back and it's like get her away from me you know i'm like i'm so <laughs> no. sorry <laughs> oh no how did you feel when families like birth families reunited with the kids or did you not get many of those cases no oh no we did okay. um you know generally that's a good thing they've done what they've required to do some as minimal as possible but um i mean ultimately that is the goal that they're with their family and for some it was like i don't know kids were taken for not it wasn't abuse or like sexual or physical yeah so that's good it was just kind of like the neglectful poor decisions Mm -hmm. um so that's it's the goal. Reunification's the goal. I think it'd be heartbreaking when you'd get a call and it was like, oh man, that kid's back. Oh, you know, yeah. like, okay, mom screwed up. And that'd be hard. When you get a kid that went out and came back, would you try to match him with the same family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, always. Mm-hmm. So that there'd be some consistency. That'd be the goal. Yeah. But sometimes it's like families moved on or there's more kids, you know. Yeah, it's just oh, that ever. How'd you handle changing. it with the the foster family because i always felt like sometimes i'd get mad at you guys even though it wasn't your fault or your choice kind of thing i can understand like you taking not only the brunt of like the trigger for the kids but also somewhat we as foster parents want to blame somebody right right well and i think that's kind of goes with the territory so it was expected um and a lot of times it's not like personal but it's hard because I think when you guys are feeling defeated, we're feeling very yeah. defeated as well. So it's like nobody wins, but we get to hold that for you successfully sometimes, maybe unsuccessfully others, you know. But then that's why we would have each other at the office to be like, oh, they called, they were so angry, you know, like, what can we do? Did you have like an inner circle at your office of like your own support group within? Oh, yeah. All the, yeah. And we met weekly as a team. And so, we definitely would share if there were challenges or, you know, this keeps coming up with the family or they're pissed about this and just how to best support each other. Um, and then how, how to have a united front and like standing strong with stupid decisions the county makes, but yeah. we just have to support each other and the family with it. Oh. It just sounds like such a hard job. It really does. I, I get the rewards behind it. You got to get our, both of our, our both of our adoptions, you know, you flew mm-hmm. in for mm-hmm. Jackson's as well. I know. Um, so there's like the rewarding of like, okay, this is all worth it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this, we changed these three lives, broke the cycle of these three lives. Like that has to be rewarding, but there's so much crazy and heartache yeah. and struggle and hardship before you even get to that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm saying is no that's <laughs> well and I know I remember when I was in it I truly loved what I was doing and I felt like the good of either certifying a new family which meant like a new blood <laughs> <laughs> um or placing children or because now they're safe and I know they're in a good home because I certified that family you know yeah. like it's not some crazy random family that kind of did what they needed to do and found the loopholes kind of thing. Like, so I felt confident and comfortable with the families that I found and certified. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when the adoptions happened, I feel like there were way more successes amidst like the sadness. And so my next question is, 
do you think you want to adopt? Like, has all this been like, do you think adoption is going to be part of your story again? So I've always wanted to adopt and I've always wanted to foster. Um, I'm lying. I've always wanted to adopt because I feel like I grew up with that. My best friend growing up in elementary school was adopted. And so were her siblings. So, and it was very much talked about, um, which I love. I love that her family did that. And we just kind of all knew and it was normal fostering. Um, I love the idea of doing that as well, but I'm single and I know that not having a support system and now being in Phoenix, my mom's here in LA. So not having that support system, I wouldn't be doing myself a favor or the child um, or the teen. I've, I've honestly thought about seeing if there's like an 18 year old or a college, you know, that doesn't have anybody. And during Christmas break, those kind of things, if there's somebody that I could care for and be a support that way. But when I married, heck yeah, I want a floodgate of all these children. How many do you want? I don't know. However, are legally but, allowed. Right. <laughs> well, room, how many can I fit in my room? Does the closet need a window? <laughs> if they're twins and they're under, I can have them all in my room. Well, you know, I'd want a couple at least. And I would be okay with just fostering because I know the importance of that. So that's where I don't know that there's a number. Because I feel like you can't put a number on how many you'd want to foster. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think biological kids are still in the picture? Are you like <sighs> I feel like I'm getting old. I don't know. My, my aches are getting it's a dust bowl. <laughs> I would love to have my own kids, but I, I don't know. So that's where I trust. If I can't, then I can't. The last question, okay? We ask all of our guests this. Do you fold your underwear? No. Who has time for that? Exactly. And thank you, Marisa, for coming in. We appreciate you. You are one of my favorite people of all time. Oh, thank, thank you so much. Thank you. The Mother Effin Podcast is hosted and produced by Patty Crouch and Heather Dragulescu. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to visit us online at mothereffinpodcast.com. 